And one thing I wanted to say right off front, you know, um, anytime you proof text, which is like you take a, a text from the Bible and it, and it proves your point, um, you have to be careful with doing that because um, you, it's very easy to take things out of context. And one of the classic examples uh, I mentioned last week, and we're going to maybe, if I get time for it, uh, go through this morning is John 3.16. You know? Um, people, you know, if, if in Protestant circles, if there's any verse that people know or even have a familiarity with, it's John 3.16. For God so loved the world, they gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, I like that word whosoever, whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And that's true. That is true. But when you take it out of the context of the whole conversation that Jesus was having with Nicodemus, it's very easy to misappropriate that verse and try to make it say things it doesn't say. Uh, and that's true uh, for any time that you cherry pick a verse and you pull a verse out of context and you quote just the verse. So the reason I say that is because there are, there are many uh, resources on the, on the Internet um, or you can look up all the, the verses for these different positions. Uh, on, you know, you just Google tulip or, or Google tulip verses or, or uh, doctrines of grace. And you'll come up with, with these pages that, that's a list as long as your arm of different verses that, that um, talk about these things that we're talking about this morning. But most of those verses, most of those are just verses themselves. Now, if you trust your source, that's okay. You know, because... You, you know that they're, they're not going to be telling you something that a verse means this when it doesn't really mean that. But I would caution you to, or, or encourage you to, to, if you look up those verses, what I would suggest you do is read not just that verse, but at least read the paragraph that it's in, if not the whole chapter of, of where it appears. Because if you don't do that, you're going to miss the context. Uh, and that's, that's very important. Because I don't want you guys to think, well, you know, we believe what we believe because we somebody long ago picked a bunch of verses out that seemed to say, you know, whatever, because that's not the case. So I just wanted to kind of throw that out there. Okay, so, so the first point was total depravity. And when you, think, when you think of that, I would encourage you to think about it like this. Think, think of two words, unwilling and unable, okay? Because what the Bible portrays human beings as being as uh, when, you, when you're conceived, you're conceived in sin. You're born in sin, all right? And what that means is that you're born with a nature that is anti-God. It's not just neutral, like, well, you know, I got my thing, God's got his. It's hostile to God because God claims dominion, sovereignty over all life. And that includes you. That includes me. So, so uh, when, when a person who is not, has not been uh, awakened by the Holy Spirit gets confronted with those notions that God has a right to tell you what's right and what's wrong and how to live your life and so on and so forth. God, I didn't like it. And most, most people don't. You don't want to be told how to live your life. Okay? So, where do we get these things? In Ephesians chapter 2, well, let's say this first. The first chapter of Ephesians, Paul is talking about um, uh, all these wonderful benefits and the gifts that we have gotten from God and how, how awesome it is, how wonderful it is that we have all these things from, from Christ and from, from God through Christ and the Holy Spirit. He mentions predestination several times, either, either the concept of predestination or actually uses the word. So it's all there. Uh, and election is in there too. But it isn't explained. 
Okay? So, total depravity, unwilling and unable. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, he starts off by reminding the Ephesians of, unless you get a swelled head, this is where you came from. So don't get, don't get all boastful and braggadocious because you think you're something. Because you're only where you are because God gave it to you. All right? uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. If you got the Bible on your phone, you can do that. Um, and you were dead in trespasses and sin, and once you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the, and, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That's important. That we, that we are, before Christ, we are... By nature, we are children of wrath. And that means that, that uh, not that we are wrathful people necessarily, but it means that we are subject to God's wrath, okay? So we are, we are by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we're all in the same boat. When, people, when you were born, if you may be a believer now, but when you were born, you were in the other boat. We were all in the other boat, okay? And what I mean by the other boat was sinful nature. Our human nature was, was reigning and ruling all the decisions that we make, the way we think, all of that. And that's what Paul is saying here. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. All right, so um, Paul is saying, before, when you were born, and all, up until something happened in your life, you were anti-God. Um, you may not have been aware of it, but 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 you but you were, and um, but and that was your nature. That's our human nature is to be rebellious to, uh, toward God and be hostile to God. But God, because of His rich mercy, made us alive. So something happened to move us from one group to the other. And, and this is making it, I think, pretty clear that we were made alive by Jesus. Not just when he died, that, that purchased our, our salvation, but that didn't make us alive, all right? What made us alive, as you'll see as we go further on, is the Holy Spirit. And until that happens, you will remain as human nature, the way you were born. You can remain hostile to God. No, no. The difference between you and me and someone who's not, not a believer is not that you don't still have sin in your life. You, we, we battle that all of our lives. And, and anybody tells you that they're, they're sinless, that they've gotten sinless perfection, they're lying. And what's that? A sin. So, you know, it's, it's not true. So, so the difference between you and I and, and people who, who are not saved by grace is that we can choose. We have free will in a, in a way that a person who is not a believer does not because they can't go against their nature, right? You can't, you can't do anything to please God when you don't have the, the, the nature, uh, the Holy Spirit residing within you. Does that make sense? You good? Okay. So God makes us alive. Um, and in Ephesians, along in chapter 2, for, a little further down, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is Ephesians uh, 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of works so that no one can boast. So, so um, when you talk about salvation, the Bible talks about, about salvation, being saved. Um, 
It's by the grace of God. So you've got salvation and you've got grace and you've got faith because you have to exercise faith to believe and, and move into the kingdom. Okay? All three of those are gifts from God. Salvation is a gift to God. God's grace is a gift to us. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it, certainly. It's given to us. And, and the ability to believe is given to us. All right? So all three of those things are given to us. So no, there again, if you're dead, if you're not alive, you don't have the faith that's required to believe. Not that you would anyway, because your nature would prevent you from doing it. But you see how, you see how it works. Um, okay, another verse. 1 Corinthians, this is uh, chapter 2. Um, it's verse 14, but I want to read a little bit before that. 1 Corinthians 2, 12. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So, so we have something that a person who is not a believer doesn't have. And again, it's the Holy Spirit makes an appearance. One of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is illumination. Uh, and what that means is it, 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 uh, the Holy Spirit um, illuminates our minds. It helps us to see the truth of Scripture, um, the spiritual realities, spiritual truths that people who don't have the Holy Spirit just don't get it. Have you ever, ever had the opportunity to talk with someone who's not a believer and you talk with them about you know, spiritual stuff and it's so obvious to you, right? And they just don't get it. That's because... They don't have the Spirit of God who is illuminating their, their intellect and their mind and their emotions, okay? Um, we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person, in, in contrast, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them. All right? So if, if, um, if you have a relative or someone that you care about, that you talk to about the gospel, um, understand that it's not because they're stupid. Because I know plenty of, of very intellectual people who, who just don't get the gospel. That's because they're not able to understand it until the Holy Spirit opens their mind. So what you need to do is not argue with them and berate them and hit them over the head with, with gospel truth, which you, which you know is true. What you need to do is pray for them, that the Holy Spirit will, will awaken them, and then they'll be able to understand these things that their, their, their nature is unable to do. Okay? Um, John six forty four, Jesus is talking to the crowds. And he says to him, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So people don't voluntarily just wake up one day like Brendan often says, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I think I'm going to go pursue God today. It just doesn't happen. Unless God is drawing a person, they're not going to be interested, you know. So um, then also... um, in John 6, this is John. I'll tell you what, read the Gospel of John. This stuff is all over the Gospel of John. And it's Jesus saying it, okay? Um, John 6, uh, 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So notice how he, Jesus, again, he's making that distinction between what is spiritual and what's natural. 
life and death, light and darkness, okay? And Jesus is saying the Spirit is the one who gives life. And obviously that's not talking about being born because you can be born without the Spirit. Um, but, you can be, but the only way you can be reborn or to be spiritually born is through the Holy Spirit, all right? There's something that happens from outside of you and, and, and penetrates into your life, all right? The Spirit who gives life. The flesh is not help at all. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. Okay? One page already. Great. Okay. So, uh, last verse I have. And there are a ton of verses. This is just a very small group of verses that, that, that we're using. But I just want to give you an idea of, of what the Bible says about these things. Romans 5, 8, chapter, chapter 8, 5, verses 5 and 7. For, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So again, there's that contrast between natural people, people who before the Holy Spirit penetrates the life, and, and spiritual people, those who the Holy Spirit has called and awoke, awoken, okay? Um, definite contrast. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh, and mind you, understand that when a person is born, when you and I were born, uh, we were born with human nature, we just talked about that, and it's hostile to God, Okay? So um, when it says, that's what it means when it says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. Um, your mind is set on the flesh until the Holy Spirit is able, enables you to be able to have spiritual discernment and understanding. For the mind is to, that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. All right? Those who are, are in the flesh cannot please God. So if you're in the flesh, if you're a natural-born person, um, and you've not been touched by the Holy, or changed by the Holy Spirit, um, you are unable and unwilling to come to God. Um, and that's what these verses are, are saying, is that, uh, that those in the flesh cannot please God. So you cannot, you can't generate whatever you think it would take to make myself believe in Jesus if the Holy Spirit has not worked on you from the outside, okay? Um, nobody can. All right, so moving on. Can unconditional election. Go back to Ephesians. This is the first chapter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace. So notice that these blessings that we're getting from God um, are, are something that is, that's coming to us externally. I and mean, when he says, even as he chose us before him in the foundation of the world. So before the world was founded, these decisions were made about, remember we talked last week, I think, or week four, about the book of life. And all these names are written in the book of life, okay? And so God 
throughout history as bringing that book of life into reality in a sense by, by you know, the Holy Spirit identifying people whose name was written in a book and awakening them, okay? Um, unconditional election means that there's nothing that we inherently have in ourselves. There's no goodness in us that attracts God to us. Um, and we have, no, we have not earned anything from God. His previous verses talk about total depravity. says we can't, okay? So there's nothing we do to make, our, make ourselves get put into the book of life. That was done long, long ago, before the world was even made. That's one of the, one of the first things that God did was wrote this book. And all the people who were going to believe are in that book, okay? Um, that's tough to hear when you grow up in a, in a Christian culture that tells you that based on John 3.16, anybody can trust in God. That's a true statement. Anybody can, except there's this little caveat. If you've been um, woken, if you've been made alive by Jesus Christ, or by the Holy Spirit, if you, if you haven't been alive, you can't do it. You're not able to do it. And again, that shows us, who, those of us who believe, that... that um, to me, when I started learning these things, I was, I was grateful for my salvation before. I was like, gee, thanks, God. That was, that was really cool to do that. But, you know, I did the believing, so hey, you know. <laughs> but, but that's not the way it works. When you start to understand these things, it's, it's like what, the, the, the grace and the blessing and uh, the gratefulness, I think, that a person should feel should explode. It should be huge in, in your life because you didn't do anything. You couldn't do anything. It's not just that you didn't do it because you were lazy. You didn't do it because you couldn't, all right? And something had to change so that you could, all right? So, um, again, in Ephesians chapter 1, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will. Notice how all of these things are not based on Anything other than God's will, God's own counsel with himself. So the basis of us being elected is based on God's sole determination, all right? It's not anything we've done or we could do. So, uh, Romans. You ever notice that, that when you... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Quick question. Yep. If we were elect, mm-hmm. and you mentioned earlier something happened, mm-hmm. right, to allow us to see. Right, that'd be the Holy Spirit. But right, but you know, but but you said that later in life, so to speak, does that mean that we before may have not have been elected? No, we were elected before birth. You were elected before the world was was founded. Amen. Right. So so, but how you come to faith and when in your life you do and where you do and not circumstances, all of those things were were ordained, I believe. Um, so, and I, and I think the Bible, you can infer that from, from the verses that we looked at so far. So you were elect before you were born, um, but you didn't know it, you know. Um, most people, when I got saved, I didn't know that I was elected and predestined. predestined. I thought I made the decision. But, but nonetheless, um, my name was written in the book of life. And, you know, let's just remember something. People who are, are born and raised in the evangelical um, Protestant religion, uh, Christianity, um, people who, who don't understand the doctrines of grace, th- those people 
can still be can still be saved. My mother-in-law and my father-in-law were, were rock-solid Baptists. They were Armenian all their lives, but they were believers. All right. And so what that what that should tell us is that those who don't understand the doctrines of grace, the, the biggest reason is because they've never been taught. They don't know, right? And you know when I used to teach class at East Bayou, and I would ooh, let me say that uh, at another church that I used to go to. <laughs> Um, yeah, blew that one, didn't I? Uh, so when I used to teach a, a class, I taught a class for a while, and, and it was the intent was not to, you know, sub, subvert the, uh, the teachings of the church. Uh, it was the intent was to um, just teach basic Bible understanding. But as you will see as you read the Bible, you read the Gospel of John, read Ephesians, all of the Bible, it's all over the Bible, okay? So you, you, these issues come up. And I used to tell people, don't take my word for it, read the text. What does the text say? And, and there were, generally there were two responses that I would always get from people when the, when, the, when the light would go off. This is what he's talking about. There were two responses. One was, huh, I don't believe that. I, I love a God who only picks some people and doesn't give everybody a chance. I don't believe that. That's not God. I, and they leave. They get mad and they leave. Other people would see it and they'd go, oh, look at that. That's so awesome. And then the second thing would happen, they'd get mad. Why haven't people told me this? What's wrong with these people? They're lying, to, they're lying to everybody. No, they're not. They just don't know. Okay? So, so when, when we have people who are friends who don't believe the doctrines of grace, it's not because they're stupid. It's because they haven't been taught. All right? They could very well be believers. But, the, but, the, but their salvation, they don't know this, but their salvation is not based on the choice that they made. The salvation was based on the name written in the book. Okay? It makes evangelism easier. It takes some of the heat off. It does. Because it, it helps you to still have hope for the family members and the people that, that are ranked pagans. You know, like, right. Like, who's to say? They're... If God can save us, he can save anybody. You know? And you're right. You know, when, when, I, was, when I first got saved, um, evangelism uh, explosion was a big thing. It was a program that, that, that actually was started in the Presbyterian Church. Um, and, and, uh, and it was a, a method of teaching people how to evangelize. Um, but, of course, you know, because I was in an Armenian church, they always put this, this pressure on you. You know, I remember people telling me, you know, if you don't share the gospel right, and people don't believe, their blood's on your hands. You ever heard somebody say something like that? You know, because because in their minds, you gotta you gotta you gotta sell the deal. You gotta you gotta you gotta sell it. You gotta make it happen. And it's up to you because it's up to them, right? Well, when I when I believe this, it was like, no, it's not. It's not up to me. It's up to me to give a good, clear gospel presentation. But but. I can't make it happen in their lives. And they can't make it happen in their lives. The only way it can happen is to pray for them that the Holy Spirit would open up their lives. You know what I think is really interesting? Um, I'll talk with my Armenian friends about this. Oh, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. And I'll ask them, okay, do you have somebody who you really care about in your family, like, like maybe your mom and dad or maybe a brother or sister, cousin, you know, or somebody who's a really good friend and you've been, you've been, Wanting them to become a, a Christian for a long time. You witnessed them, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Talk about Jesus all the time. Great, great. And so you pray for them too, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll pray for them. So what do you say to God when you pray for them? Especially the ones that have been resistant for so long. 
I'm, as many, many a person, well, I pray that God would change their hearts and God would do this. Or I'm like, duh. <laughs> That's all we're saying. You know, when it comes down to the, to the rubber meeting the road and it's somebody that really, they really care about, they turn into a Calvinist just like that. <laughs> because they realize, really know, that it's only God that can change a heart. We can't change it. So, there you have it. Um, so, Romans 9. Boy, they hate cheap. They hate preaching out of Romans 9. Sure they do. I used to, I used to, the, the church I used to go to, um, Mike would preach from, from uh, he'd do a book study, go through Romans, okay? And we would go Romans on through 8, all the way up through Romans 1 through 8. And then they'd have a children's program the next Wednesday. And the following Wednesday, we started at 10 and went from there. <laughs> Every time, man. So what is it about Romans 9 they don't like? Well, um, in Romans 9, this is just a portion of it. Um, this is Romans 9, 6 through 13. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all who are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But though Isaac, this is a quote, though Isaac shall... Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise as are counted as offspring. Now I'm going to skip down to, uh, well, no, 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 might as well not. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah will have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, notice this, though they were not yet born, Isaac, Jacob, Isaac and Jacob, although they were not yet born and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. God, they hate that. They don't like that at all. In order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hate. I hate it. So Jacob and Esau, okay? They're, 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 they're twins, they're... Be- they're being born. And, and the scripture says, Paul says, um, though neither one of them had done anything yet, in real time, they were just been, they'd just been born. And yet one was honored and one was not. Okay? So it's not unusual for God to work this way. That's the way God works. All right? So just, just keep that in mind. It's, it's, a, it's a good thing to know. Okay. Limited atonement. Yeah, two pages down. All right, so. Huh? On liquid patch, right? There's a liquid sheet, too. That's even more. John 6, 35 through 40. Um, Jesus said to them, this is limited atonement. I am the bread. And remember, limited atonement means that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sins of those who would believe. For he died for the sins of his people. He died for the sins of the names that were written in that book. Not every human being who has ever lived is written in that book. So when Jesus came, one of the prophecies that the angel said to Mary was he's going to save his people from their sins. All right? The implication is there are some people that are not his. Right? All right? So uh, Jesus died to save for the sins of those who believe. And we know because of election predestination that that means when that book was written... Jesus was given those people and he came to earth for the specific purpose to die to pay for their sins. 
Okay? Think about this. A lot of, a lot of Marines, oh, no, I can't believe a God that would, that would uh, save some and, and not save others. Putting the onus on us to believe instead of God who saves. Okay? Um, but I ask them, because, because most, none of the Armenians, no, Armenians are not universalists, all right? They don't believe, they don't believe that everybody's going to die and go to heaven. They know better than that, okay? And they also understand. When I ask them, I say, well, why, how does a person get, get, get saved? Well, you ask Jesus in your heart. You do whatever the church's routine is, the ritual. Um, and then you believe whatever, and you become, become a Christian. So I'm like, okay, so what about this guy over here? Let's call him Sam. He doesn't believe. <coughs> then what happens to him? Well, he goes to hell. Why does he go to hell? Because he didn't believe. Okay? So then I say, okay, so if you believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he paid for all sin. Okay? If Jesus died on the cross and paid for all sin, all sins have been paid for by Jesus. That's because a lot of people believe that. Okay? Then, then why does Sam, why is his sin, sins not forgiven? Well, because he didn't believe. I said, well, what's unbelief? What, what is unbelief? It's a sin, right? So, so it's like, wait a minute. So, so you got this in the, in the fine print down at the bottom. All sins are paid for by Jesus, except for those who don't believe Jesus who died on the cross. That's different. It's not different. It's a sin, okay? So they believe the same thing we do. They just don't like calling it that, right? But they also don't believe in election and predestination, which makes it more difficult for them. But they understand, most Armenians understand that, that if a person doesn't believe in Christ, put their trust in Christ, throw the stick in the fire, whatever the, the, the ritual is in, in that particular tradition is in that church, they understand that people who don't believe don't go to heaven, okay? So they do understand that. They just don't understand why, how all that works, all right? All right. Well, so, sorry. I've, I've heard a couple of them explain it to me, like there's that unforgivable sin that... that Blasphemy mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit, basically, the explanation is that the Holy Spirit um, uh, testifies to you that Jesus is God, and you call him a liar, and so by not believing, and so then you can't be forgiven of that sin, and then that's why it's in you to hell. Yeah, but but still, when the, a lot of them will make that blanket statement that Jesus died for all sin. Yeah. That would then how does that work between all sin and this little caveat that oh yeah, except for this, you know, the scripture doesn't say that. There's there seems to be a dichotomy of like on some level the death of Christ covers all of creation, but in the elect like in a specific way like how does scripture like divide those two because like we're talking about like rocks and mountains and water and right and stuff like that like his, his death redeems all of those things right but not yeah. in the same way that, that that god redeems a human being sure. yeah, no, I mean, so so for instance all of creation is groaning for the time when it'll be free of the uh corruption that it experiences because adam fell okay so when adam falls all, it's not just human beings that get get the rap. All of creation suffers because of it. Okay, um, but but when, so when when Jesus comes and he dies on the cross, um, that begins the rest uh, restoration. Okay, of all things. But you know, look around you now. You know that it isn't complete, right? There's still mosquitoes, right? <laughs> they must have a purpose somehow. They didn't come up. They didn't show up after Adam fell. I'm pretty sure, but. 
Uh, that's one of the ones I'll be asking about. But I, I think, I think what your notion that, that you're saying uh, that, that, that the earth will be restored, that's true. And that, I think, ultimately happens when the second coming occurs and, and the new heavens and the new earth, and all of that is re- restored. And all of that comes about um, in, in response to Jesus dying on the cross. That's true. But, but um, Jesus died for humans in a specific and particular way, okay? Um, it's more general for all of creation, I would assume. I mean, that's, that's a topic you could, you, could, you could dive into and we could spend weeks, you know, talking about that. But I hope maybe that helps a little bit in terms of what you're, what you're talking about. Okay. So, limited tell me. There's, there's a bunch of verses. Um, so, I want to do something in the time remaining. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. What's your question? Okay. And so me never growing up understanding covenant theology. It's just and it's referring to the oldest promise and an illustration in scripture when it comes to those that are saved and unsaved, <coughs> and how it's all covenantal. Mm-hmm. And it's based off of his promises from back then. Right. That's all not, through the old that's testament. Not over with. Right. It's in the process of being fulfilled. Right. Right. Um, Very true. That's very true. Okay, so I'm going to cut to something real quick. Uh, Hopefully i got time to do it. Because um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about John chapter 3. So in in regards to the other verses for limited uh, limited atonement, uh, irresistible grace, um, preservation of saints, um, I would encourage you to look up on the Internet, you know, verses, again, don't read just the verse, read, read the portion of Scripture, but I think it'll help. I wanted to talk about John uh, chapter 3 a little bit, because, again, 3.16 is in there, and it, and it causes many people such difficulty because it's taken out of context. But also, this, this section of Scripture talking about, Jesus talking about to Nicodemus, uh, I think covers a lot of the ground that we're trying to cover. So um, we're going to read John chapter 3, a good portion of it. Um, a couple things you got to understand. Uh, Nicodemus is a Pharisee. He was also a ruler of um, the Sanhedrin. Um, so he had the position of being an elder, in a, in a, in a sense, with uh, the nation of Israel. One of his responsibilities was to teach the Israelites. He was like a Sunday school teacher, okay, in a sense. And his responsibility, not just him, but, but you know, all of the guys, they were, they were responsible for teaching Israel the truth from the Bible, which in that point of time was just the Old Testament, okay? So Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus believes in a, in a works, right, uh, works righteousness salvation. So in other words, uh, they took the Old Testament, they took the Ten Commandments and, and all of the law, and, and they, over the years, they had commentary on it, and they, had, they added to it and stuff like that, so you end up with this huge volume of rules um, and the whole point of that was to try to keep the law all right God gave the law to the to the nation of Israel so that they could learn that they couldn't keep the law that was the point all right here's what you need to do if you want to be perfect and that's why he instituted all the sacrifices and stuff like that because he knew they weren't gonna be able to do it okay but they kept trying to find these ways to, if I keep all these little rules and all this kind of stuff, then I'm going to be acceptable to God. Well, 
that worked for some people, but some people were just like, had an uneasy conscience. And, Nic and Nicodemus was one of those guys. I think that he knew uh, deep down inside there was more to it, okay? So anyway, he comes to Jesus at night, um, which is not a big thing. Uh, there are people busy during the day, and he just came at night because it was a chance to talk to somebody with a little bit more time. And so Nicodemus says to, to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things, these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, Nicodemus is being a nice Jewish boy, all right? Mom, Mama Rosie raised him right. And, you know, you go, go, you meet somebody, you don't just trash them right away. You just be nice to them. Say nice things. Take a cake. You know, it'll be okay. <laughs> and so Nicodemus was just doing what his mama told him to do. And, but Jesus, now it doesn't mean that Jesus didn't have a good mama, but Jesus went, cuts right to the chase, okay? He knows that Nicodemus is there, not just to talk about the signs and the wonders, but, but what's really important. So Jesus answers him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of, heaven, of God. So just imagine what that statement would mean to somebody who believes that if I try hard enough and I try to keep these rules, this is what we're teaching the people, and this is what everybody I know believes. Jesus is saying, that doesn't mean squat. That doesn't, it doesn't cut it. That's going to blow his mind, you know? So Nicodemus says to him, well, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he, can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Um, he's not being smart, but he's not doing that. What he's doing is uh, he, he, he's learning. He's going to learn that being born has to happen twice. And you have a physical birth, what he's talking about out here. But that's not what, what Jesus is talking about. Jesus says to him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water, and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. See the contrast between the two? You're born once, you're born into the flesh. All right? Paul says later on, you're born in the flesh, and that's all you've got. You cannot please God. You can't understand spiritual things. And that's where Nicodemus is at this point. So... Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound, <coughs> but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Okay, Jesus is referring to stuff in the Old Testament, all right, when he says that. And in the Old Testament, just like in the New Testament, um, there are certain things, uh, words and phrases, concepts, that, that mean more then it wouldn't mean to you and I because we weren't born Jewish and we didn't grow up with the, with the, with the, um, the Torah and, and all those teachings. And, and two things that Jesus mentions here is water and the wind, okay? In the Old Testament, water is very often used figuratively to describe uh, cleansing, okay? And it's usually God doing the cleansing. Um, so so when, the, when the Old Testament talks about water, it's talking about cleansing. There's cleansing that God does, okay, of his people. Um, and when it also when the Old Testament, or when Jesus says wind, he's referring to the Old Testament. Oftentimes, the word wind um, often meant the activity of the Holy Spirit. Not always. You know, sometimes the wind blew and it blew dust. And that, you know, that's a narrative. So it didn't always mean that, but, but very often in the Old Testament, the word and the concept of wind gave, you, gave the notion of uh, 
the Holy Spirit working. Okay? Now, he goes on to fuss Nicodemus and says, how can you not how can you not know these things? You're supposed to be teaching people of Israel. You should know this. So, but the question is, what's he referring to? Um, there are many places, several places in the Old Testament, um, where this concept of cleansing, God cleansing his people, is is in a lot of lots of the prophets talk about that in one way or another, okay? One in particular is um, in Ezekiel. In uh, Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 16. It says this, um, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defied, defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me were like uncleanness of a woman and her menstrual impurity. Nasty. So I, pointed, I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land for the ideas, idols which they had defiled, which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispensed through the, the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. And, the, and that people said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among themselves and among the nations. All right? Now, this is what he says. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, it is not for your sake, house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. Now listen to this. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness and from all of your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. What does that sound like? What does that sound like? All right. It's also, it, sounds like, it sounds like God is going to do something outside of the, the people as a nation and as individuals. He's going to sprinkle them with, with, with water and cleanse them. He's going to reach in and take out that sinful heart and put in a heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Okay? I mean, this is, this is, this is what Jesus is referring to. Um, well, what about the wind? Um, okay, so if you go to the next chapter in Ezekiel... You run across the story of the Valley of Dry Bones. Everybody, anybody ever heard of that? Yeah? And every time you hear a priest, it's, it's always, you know, this is the awesome things that God can do in your life. And as you're a believer, he can, he, can, he can raise you from, you know, above, above, whatever. Okay? That's not what he's talking about. <clears throat> the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And Ezekiel, not being a dummy, said, Oh, Lord God, only you know. <laughs> and he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God to these bones. 
Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord, being raised from the dead. Right? So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a sound. And behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, son of man, and say to the breath, listen to this, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. So we've already gone over a ton, but just think about that, okay? Um, that's what Nicodemus and the elders should have been teaching Israel, that that you only come alive in a spiritual, this born-again notion. You only come, come alive if the Holy Spirit does the work, okay? Um, so when Jesus later on, in uh, a little bit, a couple more verses in John 3, 3, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, okay? That whosoever believes, that whosoever is true, that anyone who believes will not perish and have eternal life. But you can't understand that verse correctly unless you understand the beginning, which is that um, the whole, you have to be born again. It's something that happens for, to you from outside. And it happens by the Holy Spirit. Okay? I mean, that's what he was telling Nicodemus.